You and I were designed for relationships from the very beginning, from the very beginning of creation up to this very day. And you know that relationships can bring you great, great joy. At the same time, you also know that relationships can be some of the hardest things you will ever have to go through, and they sometimes bring you the greatest pain and sorrow, which is exactly why we need Jesus and his cross. So today we are going to start a new series. It is called Christ, the Cross, and You. And it is a six-part series. Today is Christ, the Cross, and You. Next week will be marriage, and then family, and then the church, and then conflict, and finally, our relationship with the world. See, we understand our relationships with all of these areas best through Jesus and his cross. And when our relationship with Jesus and our understanding of the cross is off, all of these other relationships will be off as well. Because ultimately, every relationship comes from and goes to Christ Jesus and his cross. Now, each of the topics I've just mentioned are very large topics, and books and books and books have been written about them. You can go to the store, and especially if you go to the self-help section, you will find a lot of books on these various topics. But we aren't going to go to the self-help section. We're going to stay with Scripture. As a matter of fact, we're going to actually have a pretty narrow focus each week on Scripture alone. And we are, in essence, going to let the laser beam of God's Word cut through everything so that the light and life of Christ Jesus is revealed in all of our relationships. Now, for that to happen, we need, we must have the Holy Spirit working in and through us. So as we begin this series, let's come to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we give you all praise and glory and honor. We ask that if we begin this series that you would work mightily in us that you would help us understand your design for relationships, that your words speak to our hearts and minds and our very soul, so that we are not simply hearers of the word, but it moves us to apply your word in our lives. We pray that throughout all of this, not our will that is done, but your will. So work through us through the Holy Spirit. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As a reminder for everyone, there are sermon notes, and there are going to be sermon notes throughout this entire series, just like we've done, and I think they'll be very helpful for you as we go through. So our first topic, Christ, the cross, and you. And we're going to actually start off with a pretty fundamental question. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's a pretty fundamental question but it's one that we actually don't even ask because we start to assume it. But I don't think we should ever assume this particular question. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, so one time, Heidi and Laura and I, we were on vacation. And we were actually in middle, uh, central Minnesota, Pequot Lakes, if you're interested. And we were at one of the fairs there, and it was an arts and crafts fair. I went up to a f food vendor, because I like honey. I'm like Winnie the Pooh, I like my honey. 
And so I went, and the woman said, nice cross. You know, I wear my cross all the time. She said, nice cross. And I said, oh, are you a Christian? Her answer surprised me. She said, I think I am. Uh, Now, I've heard a lot of responses, but I don't think I've ever heard it that way, almost like a question. She wasn't even quite sure. She said, well, I, I go to church. So I then asked her, well, do you know what the gospel is? And she had no idea what the gospel was. So as gently as I could, I explained that to her. I mean, this is the state of what it means to be a Christian in the world. A lot of people just had this vague understanding of it, and they have little to no understanding of the gospel message. Thus, in the absence of knowledge of our faith and the gospel, we start to fill it in. We say things like, well, I go to church, or something like, well, I try to be a good person. I try to live by the golden rule, and I try to do enough good things in my life, so at the end of my life, the balance scale tips enough so that when I get to heaven, I can say, well, at least I've done some good things in my life. That's the state of Christianity, and the gospel then becomes an extension of just doing good things. And when the gospel becomes an extension of just following the rules and doing the right thing, the gospel gets changed into something like, well, we need to save the planet. Or the gospel is about racial harmony or about economic equality. That's what the gospel gets changed into when it's just about following the rules. This is the situation in a like manner to the churches in Galatia. Now, when we speak about Galatia, it is an area of Turkey, uh, central, west central Turkey, and there's a number of churches there. And within that larger body of believers, there were a group of people that said, yes, Christ saves, but... You must also follow the rules. In this case, be circumcised. You must also be circumcised to be truly a believer, to truly be saved. It is Christ plus something else. And this really got to Paul. Because Paul was saying this. He says, if you add even one thing to the cross of Christ, if you add even one thing to the gospel... You change the very essence of the gospel message. Listen to what he says in the very beginning of his letter to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That is anathema, that is damned. Paul, by the way, even takes Peter to task because Peter was showing favoritism. He was showing favoritism to the Jews 
who were in Christ, but circumcised, versus the Gentiles, who were also in Christ, but not circumcised. So Peter even, Paul even takes Peter to task. And he deftly answers the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What is the gospel? And he answers by saying, we are justified by faith. So let's go to our text here. We ourselves are Jews, Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. So we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's the key word here, right? Justified. Now, when you and I think about this word justified in our current day and age, we think of being able to defend our actions. And in some cases, look, we are justified. If somebody comes at me and wants to do me harm, has a knife or gun or something, I am certainly justified. My actions are okay to be able to defend myself, even if that other person gets hurt. But most of us don't go through situations like that. You see, most of us want to justify, defend our actions, our behavior everywhere, no matter what we do. You see, kids do this, right? Kids do this all the time. Adults do it just at a larger behavior, especially when it comes to standing before God. Now, I'm going to show you a, a video. It's called The Good-O-Meter. We've watched this in uh, Bible study. Uh, I'm going to show a slightly truncated version this morning, but I think you're going to get the idea of what we're talking about, of trying to justify ourselves. You can see, you can hear how people want to justify themselves, even on the day that they are before the judge, right? They step on the scale. Now, in fancier terms, what this call is called is legalism. You and I might think that's just associated with the Pharisees. They were legalists, right? They tried to follow the rules. And so we associate legalism with just some other people. But indeed, you and I are much more legalists than we would ever care to think about. One person defined it like this. He said, legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. In essence, I'm going to follow the rules and I'm going to try to do good enough stuff so my good outweighs the bad. I like the one woman who said, well, I cheated on a test, but then I cleaned stuff up in the park. I mean, like, how does that work out, right? A legalist behaves as though they can win God's favor and approval by being a good person. What legalism does, by the way, is ultimately says, yes, Jesus died for me, but it wasn't quite enough. I need to do the work. But what does Paul say? Paul says, look, I, I, I was a Jew, right? I'm a Jew. And in other places in Scripture, he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he goes, behind, he goes through his whole pedigree. But he says, that doesn't count at all. 
If everyone could be saved by being a Jew, by being the Pharisees, I would have been it. But he says, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Trying so hard to secure your salvation through following the rules does not work. You are guilty under the law, and if you stand on that scale, it will always say, not good enough. So then, this word justified, right? We're trying to understand this word justified. What does this word justified mean? It actually does have a legal sense to it. But not legalism, but as in a court of law. Justified and how it's used means that God declares you to be righteous. It means that the righteousness of Christ is imputed. That's a big word, right? Imputed. What that means, it is transferred from Christ to you. And then it says you are declared righteous because you have put your faith in Christ Jesus. Does this mean you have somehow become good? No, it doesn't. It means what Christ has done and everything that he has done is given and transferred to you. You are still a sinner, but now, tying this back into our last series, remember we talked about the white robes? It is the robes of Jesus and his righteousness that cover your sin. It is the crown of his righteousness that is given to you. We don't trust on anything that we've done. We trust solely on Christ and his righteousness. And thus, just like that man, right? The last man with the thickest file, you and all have, I have files that thick. It is tossed aside because of what a Christ has done. You know that song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less? It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. Not my righteousness, Jesus Christ, he's my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. This is what it means to be justified by faith. And then Paul goes on, he says, for though I died to the law, for through, I'm sorry, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So let's talk about the Ten Commandments for a little bit. Ten Commandments are God's law, right? This is God's law. Now, last fall, we did a whole series working our way through the small catechism, and we went through each commandment one by one. And we spent a full session on each of the commandments, which is amazing when you think about it because they aren't all that long, but to spend about 40 minutes on each commandment and is amazing. And what we saw is God's perfect moral nature. And we also saw that all the laws are tied together. For example, the last two are about coveting. Now, we normally focus on the first you know, first eight, nine, and ten, we go, oh, yeah, do not covet. Okay, got it. But when you start to look at coveting, you really see that it ties into all of the other commandments because what is it to covet? To covet is to have a great desire for something else. 
So when we have a great desire for our cars, our homes, our houses, our hobbies, our whatever the case may be, that coveting and the thing that you covet becomes your God. And what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So you start to see that coveting ties back to the very first commandment. And what is it to covet your neighbor's belongings? Doesn't that lead to lying and theft and even murder? And if you covet your neighbor's spouse, that will lead to adultery. So you can see that coveting is tied all together. And when you start to take a look at this, you kind of go, I am dead in my sin. When you start to take a look at God's perfect law. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 7. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I have not known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin died. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Let me give you a really simple example. You ever been walking along, and there's a park bench, and it says, wet paint don't touch? What do you have to do? You touch it, right? Even though it says don't. Now, you were walking past that same park bench the day before. You had no desire to touch that bench. But now that it says do not, you do. And then you kind of go, I am no better than anyone else Paul says, when I had the law, I knew that I was a sinner before God. And I was dead in my sin. And that law brings me no life. I had to die of that law. You see, God's law does this. God's law reveals, the law reveals God's perfect righteousness and our sinfulness. It gives lie to all efforts of self-justification. If you want to think you're a good person, just study the Ten Commandments. It also helps us realize our need for mercy and grace from Christ Jesus. So Paul said, I had to die to that. And then he talks about being crucified with Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. So how are we supposed to understand that? I mean, Paul, was he saying that he was actually crucified on the cross with Christ? I mean, he wasn't, was he? And, and it, he wasn't even one of the thieves next to him? So how can we understand when he says, I have been crucified with Christ? I think the sense is this, that he means that all of his sins, all of his sins, all of his sins were taken by Christ on the cross, nailed there. And he pried how, he, how well he carried out the rules, and he thought and how good or how self-righteous he was, fully died there with Christ. And he says, everything that I thought was for gain, I, I now count as loss. My entire life of sin was put to death. And because I was crucified with Christ, I have a new life. 
In 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. As one commentator put it this way, he said, Therefore, it is Christ who now lives in me, means it is from him that I receive all my strength. In him, I trust completely on his righteousness imputed to me. I base my hope for all of eternity. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The very freedom you have is because of Christ and his cross. Christ without the cross is not Christ. And the cross without Christ, is just a symbol of death. But Christ and his cross is about a new life that you have. A new relationship you have with God. And you have a new name. And your name is redeemed. Who are you? My name is redeemed. This is the essential message of the gospel. The gospel is, is, is just not one of the things that makes us Christian. It's the essential thing that makes us Christian. It is the essential thing. And it's just not one of our messages of faith. It is the message of faith. And it is this message and this message alone that brings us new life, that shows us we have grace and mercy, though we do not deserve it, Though we were to stand on that scale, it should always say not good enough. This is the message that we are justified by faith. And we come before Christ Jesus as beggars, not grasping with our faith, but receiving a precious gift that only he can give. So now, here's the question. You got this new life in Christ, right? You have a new life. Would you ever want to go back to the old one? Would you ever want to try to go back to securing your own salvation through your own efforts? Would you ever want to say, yeah, I think I can step on that good O-meter? You wouldn't ever want to go back to your own legalism, would you? And Paul answers this. He says, no, certainly not. And this is why he says, and the life I now live and the life I, sorry, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In simple terms, he says, I am justified by faith. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I live a faith of life because of God's love for me. That's the relationship we have in Christ Jesus. This is what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That right there, that last part, if God so loved us, we ought to we also ought to love one another. That's the main message for the rest of the series. That's the crux of the matter. And by the way, did you know that crux comes from the word cross? So the crux of the matter is Jesus Christ and his cross. That is what we are focusing on. So the two questions for you this morning is this. Is the gospel the essential aspect of your faith? Not just one of, like, oh yeah, I heard the gospel, okay, but now I've got other stuff to do. No, it is, it is the essential. Is it the essential aspect of your faith? And how does Christ and his cross shape your relationship with God? How does Christ and his cross shape the relationship you have with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit? For freedom, Christ died for you, living a life of freedom in him, never forsake, never forgetting what he has done for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift you have given us in Christ Jesus, for the great love you have given to us in Christ Jesus. Help us through the Holy Spirit to live a life centered on Christ and his cross, always living a life of gratitude. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. 